Hi and welcome to this latest episode from 1914-1918war.com. In this episode uh, we've got uh, two slightly longer chapters, Turks Attack and Red Cross. Let's get on with the show. Everything you hold for file is at stake. Chapter 21 Turks Attack One night in May, the Turks made a fierce attack on us, apparently determined to carry out their oft-repeated threat of driving us into the sea. The shells just rained down over our gully, lighting up the dugouts with each explosion. It was like hell let loose. Word came down from the beach stations that they were full of casualties, and on getting down there, one found that the situation had not been overestimated. The whole beach was filled with stretchers, the only light being that from bursting shells. We worked hard all night, operating and dressing, and when one had time to think, One's thoughts generally took shape of wondering how the men were keeping the Turks off. It was useless to be sentimental, although many of my friends were amongst those injured. The work just had to be done in the best way possible. One night, a strong wind got up, just like our southerly busters, and in the middle of it all, firing began on our left. I heard that the Turks nearly got into the trenches, but that they were beaten off, and rolled right around the position, passed on, as it were, from battalion to battalion. It was very interesting to watch the warships bombarding Turkish positions. One ship, attacking Atibaba, used to fire at her broadside, and on the skyline six clouds would appear at regular intervals, for all the world like windmills. On another occasion I watched two ships bombarding the same hill a whole afternoon. One would think there was not a square yard left untouched, and each shot seemed to lift half the hill. Twenty minutes after they had ceased firing, a battery of guns came out from somewhere and fired in their turn. They must have been in a tunnel to have escaped that inferno. One day we were up on pluggies while our beach was being shelled. At last the stack of ammunition caught fire and was blazing fiercely until some of the men got buckets and quenched the fire with seawater most courageously. Later a shell landed among a lot of dugouts. There was quietness for a bit. Then one man began scraping at the disturbed earth. Then another. Finally about six of them were shoveling earth away. At last a man appeared with his birthday suit for his only attire. He ran like a hare for the next gully amid yells of laughter of all who witnessed the occurrence. I think he had been swimming, and being disturbed by Beachy, had run for a dugout, only to be buried by the shell. That was the extraordinary thing about our soldiers. Shelling might be severe and searching, but only if a man was hit was it taken seriously. In that case, a yell went up for stretcher-bearers. If it was a narrow squeak, then he was only laughed at. The beach, at times, was the most unhealthy place in the peninsula. Men frequently said they would sooner go back to the trenches. One day we had five killed and twenty-five wounded. Yet, had Johnny Turk been aware of it, he could have made the place quite untenable. I saw one shell get seven men who were standing in a group. The effect was remarkable. All screwed themselves up before falling. 
they were all lightly wounded. Chapter 22 Red Cross About the middle of July, I sent a corporal and two men over to Heliopolis with a letter to Lieutenant Colonel Barrett asking for some Red Cross goods. I had already received issue vouchers for two lots, but these had been intercepted in transit, so the men were ordered to sit on the cases until they gave delivery to the ambulance. Fifty cases came, filled with pyjamas, socks, shirts, soap and all sorts of things. The day they arrived was very, very hot and our hospital was full of men whose uniform had not been off since they landed. No time was lost in getting into the pyjamas and the contented look on the men's faces would have gratified the ladies who had worked so hard for the Red Cross. Talk about peace and contentment. They simply lolled about in the scrub smoking cigarettes and I don't believe they would have changed places with a federal senator. Those Red Cross goods saved one man's life at least. All the unopened cases were placed outside the tent. One afternoon, a shell came over into a case of jam, went through it and then into another containing socks. A man was lying under the shelter of this box, but the socks persuaded the shell to stay with them and thus his life was saved. It was on this day that my nephew, Staff Sergeant Nixon, was wounded. He had just left his dugout to go to the dressing station on the beach when a shrapnel shell severely wounded him in the leg. The same shell killed Staff Sergeant Gordon, a solicitor from Adelaide and one of the finest characters I knew. He was shot through the spine and killed instantly. Two other men were wounded. Our ambulance was ordered to pitch a hospital up Canterbury Gully to provide for a possible outbreak of cholera, as almost every writer on the subject stated that, when European troops occupied trenches that had previously held by Turks, an outbreak of cholera invariably followed. Major Clayton was detailed for the work and soon had accommodation for a hundred men. As there was no cholera, the sick men were kept here. We had been so long in this place without a change and so many troops were crowded into such a small area without a possibility of real rest that the men began to get very stale. Sickness was prevalent and this hospital seemed to help them a great deal. It was a picture to see them all lying in their pyjamas, reading the bulletin and punch and swapping lies. The New Zealanders held a concert here one night. Major Johnston, the OC, filled the position of chairman, the chair being a cask. One man, with a cornet, proved a good performer. Several others sang, while some gave recitations. We all sat round in various places in the gully, and joined in the choruses. It was very enjoyable while it lasted. But as darkness came on, rifle fire began on the tops of the surrounding hills, also occasionally shell fire. This completely drowned the sound of the performers' voices, and the concert had to be brought to a close. Abdul had counted us out. That brings us to the end of the chapter called Red Cross. Uh, I'm going to leave it there. Um, Thanks for listening. See you next episode. Bye.